Five things, <clears throat> five things I want to share with you this morning as we continue to try to answer this question, what is God like? Here's the first this morning. I want you to understand that our God is truthful. Our God is, is truthful. I want you to listen to what Scripture proclaims about God. Uh, Jeremiah 10.10 10 says, But the Lord is the true God. That means the only true God, by the way. The, the Lord is, is the only true God. He is the living God, the, the eternal King. Numbers 23.19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a, a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and, and not fulfill? Titus 1.2, Paul writes, a, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. Guys, what all that means is that when God says something, when, when God makes a promise, you can take it to the bank. That's what that means. And, and, and so when, 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 uh, when God says that he has a plan for you, he means it because God is forever faithful. God is forever truthful. When, when God says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for my burden is easy and my yoke is light and you'll find rest for your soul. It means that you can count on it, right? When, when, when God promises power to the weak and, and strength to the powerless, when he says that those that trust in him will find new strength and will soar on wings like eagles. It means you can take that to the bank, that God will do that for you. I've got some more if, if you want some, right? When, when, when God says nothing can ever separate us from his love, nothing. When, when, he, says, when he says not death or life or angels or, or demons or fears or worries, not even the powers of hell themselves can separate us from the love of God, it means that you can believe him. When he says I'll never leave you or forsake you, it means that you can trust him. And, and when he says that he will bring about to completion, the good work that he started in you means that you you can hope. No, no, even better. You can have confidence that he will do just that. God is forever faithful. He is truthful. That's who he is. That's not just one of his qualities. That is his essence. God is is truthful. He's forever faithful. And isn't that the very heart of our faith? Isn't that what this Christianity is about? It's that we've, we've trusted God. We, we believe that God is truthful. We, we, we believe that His Word is true. We believe that He will do what He says that He will do. That He is who He says that He is. That's what it means to have faith in God. So as Christians, we have to know and understand our God is true. He's truthful. He's forever, forever faithful. Alright, number two. I want you to see this morning. That God is good. God is good. Now you guys know the saying, ready? God is good all the time. Okay, that was pretty terrible. I don't know if you need some more coffee. I don't know if you never heard the saying. All right, now you've heard it. Three people know it this morning. Act like you just learned it, okay? All right, we're going to try it again. So it goes something like this. God is good all the time. God is good, right? Now, where do we get that from? Where do we where do we get that little saying from? Well, it's kind of found all throughout Scripture, to be honest. And I, I want to take you to, to one of my favorite verses that really sheds light upon the goodness of God. And so it's found in the book of Luke chapter 18. If you don't mind turning there with me, Luke chapter 18. And 
it's an interesting story. I think it's the saddest story in all of Scripture about this, this great rich young ruler that comes to Jesus and he wants eternal life. And, and, and so, so Jesus speaks to him and says, well, listen, you know, you've got to keep the commands of Scripture. And the guy says, listen, I already know the commands. I'm already doing all these things. And he says, okay, well, go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. And the guy walks away saddened because he, that was the thing he cared about most was, was wealth and life. Well, in this little interaction... Jesus really said, shed some light on, upon the goodness of God. It's Luke 18, starting in, in verse uh, 18. It says, A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Get this, verse 19. Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, in, in just that, those little two verses, Jesus says a couple things. One, he, he's identifying himself as God uh, when he says, why are you calling me good? Only God is good. He's saying, by the way, you're looking at God, okay? Uh, the other thing he's saying, just plainly, he says, no one is good except God. N- no one I- is good except God. And I want you to see this. Just write this down. Fill in the blanks for me on your slides. Uh, that God is, is the only one that is truly good. Guys, this is what the Bible teaches. There are many that appear to be good. There are many that appear to be righteous. There are many that, that appear to have their, their act together. But, but the truth is that, that no one is good except for God. And, and so, you know, later in this question and answer series, I promise you we'll answer the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Here's the core of that question, is, is there's no one good except God. It's a bad question in truth, but I'll still answer it for you at some point, okay? But but the Bible says, listen, there's nobody good except God. God is the only one that, that's good, and, and, and that means something. But because God is the only one that's good, it means this, it means that God is the standard for goodness. See, because God is the only one that is good, he then is is the standard for for goodness. And that means something that means that, that, that God's the standard, not the person next to you in the pew. Not the person standing in the pulpit. God is the standard. So, so it means that you can't compare your goodness to your next door neighbor or to your friend or to your other person in small group. It, it's not about how you're doing in comparison to them. It's about how you're doing in comparison to him. Because he's the standard. He's the standard, not the person next to you. Don't pat yourself on the back that you're, you're better than Sally or Sue. You're better than John or Jane. It's not about that. God is the standard. That's why in Genesis 1, God looks around at all of creation. And he says, man, this is good. He's not basing that upon you or I. He's basing that upon himself. <laughs> he says, man, I made this and it is good. It's when God says that he's begun a good work in you, that he'll bring that good work to completion. God says it's good. He's basing it on his standard. What he's done in you, friends, is something greater than you could ever do on your own or by yourself. And he'll bring it about to completion. God, God's good. He's the standard. Now, follow me. Because God is the only one that's good and because God is the standard, that means that God must also be the only source, the ultimate source of goodness. Okay, God, because he's the only one that's good, because he is the standard, is also the ultimate source of goodness. James 1.17 says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights, right? We, we just studied the Sermon on the Mount, and, and Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 7, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who 
ask Him. God is the source of goodness. Last thing I want you to see is how His goodness is revealed to us. Because it's revealed to us really in two ways. Okay, look at this. God's goodness is revealed to us in His holiness. Now guys, that's His moral perfection. Okay, When we say God is the standard, that's what we mean, God is holy. So he, He's the one we look to when we want to be good. We say, well, I'm going to look to God. I'm going to, I'm going to model myself who? after the standard, after Jesus. I'm going to model myself after God. So that's what we mean. He's holy. He's the standard. But more than just that, we, we also mean, when we talk about God's goodness, is, is that He's compassionate. We're talking about His goodness to us, His mercy. We just sang about that. God's mercy to us, that he gives us good gifts. The way that God acts towards us, he's also good, right? He's not just the standard of goodness, he's also the source of goodness. And that's how his goodness is revealed to us. It's revealed to us in his holiness and in his compassion, okay? Second thing I want you to know, I want you to understand, not only is God truthful, but God is good. God is good. That leads us to number three. Number three. I want you to see this morning that God is love. God is love. Not just that God is loving, but God is love. I want to read some verses with you. 1 John 4, uh, 8 through 10. Let's read that together if, if you don't mind turning there. Uh, book of 1 John. It's way towards the back. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to read uh, verse 8 through 10 to you. says, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. This is love. Not that we love God. But that God loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. One more. Romans 5, 8. If you want to turn back towards that one. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. This is what it says. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, we were still sinners. Christ died for us. So I want you to put these together, okay? So we've got 1 John 4, 8 uh, through 10. This is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And, and, then, and then you put Romans 5, 8. That, that, that this, is, this is love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so it's not that we love God. And, and it's not that we've done anything right. It's just that God loved us. And in the midst of our sin, God loved us. And I want you to kind of grasp this love. Because it's, it, it's really important you understand it. And I think the only way you can truly understand how amazing the love of God is. Is to understand how powerful this God is. God is that loves in this way. See, here's what scripture says about God's power. And, and, and you're not going to have time to turn. You can just jot down these, these references. Jeremiah 32, 27. Jeremiah 32, 27. God is speaking to the prophet and he says, I am the Lord, God of all mankind. This is what he says here. This, he says, is anything too hard for me? God said, I'm God. I am old. There's nothing that's too hard for me, Jeremiah. Nothing, right? He's just reminding. I, I, Isaiah 40, uh, verse 28, again speaking to the prophet. He says, do you not know 
He's speaking to his man. Isaiah is his man. He's speaking to his man. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. God is saying, Isaiah, do you not know who I am? I am the all-powerful creator of everything that you see and all the stuff that you can't. I'm God. I'm all-powerful. One more. I want you to follow me. Turn with me to the book of Job. Job chapter 38. Uh, man, I, I love the book of Job, um, and, and, and uh, I, I want to challenge you. We talked about this Wednesday night. You know, I, I know a lot of people that today, as you turn there, Job 28, um, there's a lot of people uh, today that, um, I'm sorry, it's Job 38, Job 38. There's a lot of people today that, that you know, say things like, man, when I get to heaven, I, boy, do I have some questions for God. You know, man, read Job chapter 38 if you're one of those people that think that you deserve to question God, okay? Because Job was, was so faithful and he was so good, right? And, and, then, and then finally, it, it seems like life kind of gets to him and he begins to really question God. And so God's like, fine, Job, oh servant of mine, you want to question me? Let me answer you. And I want you to hear how God answers Job. So if you're one of those people and you've come in with that attitude before, well, God, I've got some questions for you. Well, just be prepared because here it comes. Job 38 verse 1. Then the the Lord answered Job out of the storm. Now, friends, that is your first clue that this is not going well for you, right? When you question God and suddenly there, there's a black cloud that forms in the sky and there is thunder and there is lightning, you should rethink your attitude, right? That you should check yourself. God is bringing a storm in my direction. Hello, maybe I've messed up. Like, just repent there, okay? I'm just telling you because listen, this verse 2, this is what God says. So, so verse 1, it says, he said, verse 2, who is that that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? He's, listen, a.k.a., let me translate for you. This is my translation. What idiot wants my counsel? Okay? Right? I, I mean, I mean, really, because that's us. You know, God, I've got to, really? Okay? All right, so, so listen, and this is a loving God, Okay? He says, who is this that darkens my counsel without words of knowledge? And then verse three, he says, brace yourself like a man and I will question you and you shall answer me. I love King James it says, gird up your loins, O man, for I'm about to speak to you. Uh, again, my translation. Uh, son, you might want to check yourself and make sure that your manhood's still there. Because when I speak to you. Something might happen. God says, are you sure that you're man enough to have this conversation with me, Job? And then God begins his discourse. And I want you to hear this. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garments and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. What is God saying to Job? Dude, I'm powerful. I am powerful. 
I put all the stars where they belong. I call them by name. I tell the sea it can only come this far. Now, why is all that important? Because to understand the extent of God's love, you've got to know that this God that loves in this fashion is all-powerful. And this all-powerful, independent, all-knowing God that does not need you or I chooses to love us. And how does He choose to love us? You've got to balance His power with Philippians chapter 2. Let's look at that together. Philippians chapter 2. Look at this, this, this balance. Look at this God and the way that he chooses to love. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. I want you to see some things about God's love. Though God is all powerful, though God is completely independent, though he doesn't need you and he doesn't need me, he doesn't love us with with a distant kind of love. He doesn't love us with an uninterested kind of love. Though God has, has all power over all creation, He doesn't love like, like, like the big God that, that you would think. He, he's, 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 he's not this distant, uninterested love. He, his love is completely relational. Look at this. This is what's so amazing about His love. It, it's personal. It's relational. And this is the word that you're not going to like, I promise you. God's love is personal. God's love is relational. And this is the one that's going to make you go, wait a second. How can, how can God love this third way and still be God? His love is vulnerable. So what do you mean? Think about Jesus. Think about God in the flesh. It's vulnerable. God became vulnerable. God gave all of himself in order to love you, in order to love me. It's vulnerable. I want you to know we talk about men being secure in their manhood if they can wear a pink shirt, right? Man, he's really secure in his manhood. I'll tell you what. Tell you what, our God is secure in his godhood. He, he is secure in his power and he's secure enough in his power that he can love us like this. And, and how does he love us, right? Does he, does he force us to get clean in order to come to him? Does he wait until we love him in order to love us like this? No, this God, in the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of our running from him, this God chooses to give all of himself and, and, and to step from, from heaven into earth, into humanity, and to become totally vulnerable and then to take Take our sin upon himself. This God chooses this. While we were still sinners, he loves us this way. (laughs) And he comes to do what? He shows us the full extent of his love. John 14, Philippians 2. And what is the full extent of his love? It's service. He comes and he serves us by taking on our sin debt. And in doing so, he redeems us. And his love is so powerful that it brings redemption to all who believe. John 3.16. This is love. 
That's who God is. God is love. He's not your ordinary, I love you, I love pizza, I love dogs kind of love. He is an all-powerful God that could do anything that he wants, choosing to become a servant to us who have not loved him, who are in the midst of our sin, choosing to interrupt that with an amazing redemptive love that serves those that don't deserve it so that they might have life. God is love. That's what our world needs to hear. Number three, four. Y'all never going to get out of here. We're still on three. <clears throat> Number four. Don't get me started this morning. I know it's an 830 service and we got Sunday school coming up, but we could go. Y'all, we just have Sunday school in here. If y'all, I know some of y'all teachers and you'll have to leave. We'll just keep going. Number four. God is Holy. God is holy. We talked about it just a bit. Point number two. God is holy. It means he's set apart. He's he's morally perfect. Psalm 99.9 says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. He's holy. Read with me what happens in Isaiah 6. Isaiah chapter 6, that great encounter that Isaiah has. And and, and, uh, he has this great vision of the Lord. He goes to the temple and he sees the Lord seated on the throne. I want you to hear what what happens in in Isaiah 6 verse 1. It says, in the year that King Isaiah died, I, I saw the Lord seated on the throne high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. And with two wings they covered their faces. And with two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. That's pretty cool. You think about that, and and then they're they're calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty, Isaiah cries. And I, I want you to see what happens. This is key to understanding God's character, who he is. He's holy. He's perfect. So much so that when Isaiah was in his presence, Isaiah saw God and in seeing God, he saw himself. In seeing God, he saw his own sin condition and all he could do was cry out, woe is me. See, when you when you experience the holiness of God, when you see God like that, it, it shows you the depths of your own depravity. And it forces us to cry out, God, you are holy and God, I am unholy. Woe is me. Woe is me. And that's exactly what happened to Isaiah. That's what's happened to us, too. And friends, the more time we spend with God, the more we realize that we need him, the more we realize that we need him, the more we turn to him. And the more we turn to him, the more something amazing happens, the more we become like him. That's why God says, be holy as I'm holy. Something that we can do. It starts with that first Isaiah 6 moment when we cry out, woe is me, I'm ruined. And it continues on every time we turn to God. The more we turn to him, the more we begin to look like him. Be holy as I am holy. God is holy. Number five. What you see this morning that God is righteous and just. It would be easy to end the sermon with the fact that God is love. But God's love is never separated from his righteousness and his justness ever. 
I want you to see this. This means some things. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, He is the rock. His works are perfect. And all His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just He is. Psalm 9 verse 8 says, He will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the people with justice. Psalm 33, 5 says, The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of His unfailing love. And so this is what all that means. I want you to see this. It means that God is right and He always does what is right. God is right. That's who He is. God is right. And He always does exactly what is right. That's what God... God cannot do what is wrong. He can't. He, he, he is unable to do what is wrong because he is right. That's who he is. You following me? And, and that means that, that there's a problem with us because of sin. You see, because God must always do what is right. He, he must always do what is right. And, and the Bible says that sin demands a price. Okay? It says that sin demands a price. That there's a price for sin. There's a price for disobedience. And God cannot, even though He is loving, because He's just, He cannot look the other way and ignore that price. A price must be paid in order for Him to still be God. In order for Him to be all that He is. So I want you to see this. Let me walk you through this this morning. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so I've got three slides or three fill in the blanks on your notes. I want to walk you through this this morning. Because of sin, a great debt was owed. For the wages of sin is death. That's the wage. That's the penalty. God is just. He must exert that penalty. There is no way around it. There is no way around it. At all. I think it's interesting. There's a lot of commentators and and, and I had never thought about it before. But you know when Adam and Eve are in the garden and they sin the very first time. It says God made them skins. Some people think it was the human skin. Better translation is skins. Coverings of animals. That the very moment that they sinned, death entered the world. Someone had to die to cover their sin. From the very first moment. I want you to think about this. God is just. Sin demands death. It just does. And so because of sin, a great debt is owed. Now follow me. Let's walk through it. Here's the next step. Because of God's righteousness, that great debt had to be paid. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. He cannot be God and just look the other way. Here's the last one. Because of God's love, Jesus took God's punishment for sin upon himself and he paid our debt. You might want to add the words in full. Because of God's love, Jesus took God's punishment for sin upon himself and he paid our debt. That is the precious gift of God that we read about in the Bible. God's amazing love, God's gift of eternal life 
This gift of Jesus. The Bible says God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What do we do with that? What do we do with what we've learned about this great God and what he's like this morning? I'll give you three things and I'll let you go on off to small group. <clears throat> number one. Number one. I pray this morning that you are challenged within your spirit to trust God. To just take him at his word. He is truthful. When he promises something, you can take it to the bank. What are you struggling with? Did you not hear? Is anything too big for God? That's what God says. Is anything too hard for me? The answer, of course, is no. You feel all alone. Trust him and his word. I will never leave you or forsake you. You may may feel like he's not there, but brother, he is there. You know, go to that go to that bathroom and read the footprints poem. Right. You know, when you thought I was all alone, I was carrying you. Man, that sucker makes me cry every time I read it. Big, soft, yeah, and it's always in a bathroom, you know. I'm over at somebody's house, I'm in the bathroom, and I come out crying, and they're like, what's wrong with that guy? <laughs> it was really tough in there. I mean, just always footprints, it's always the footprints poem, man. Put it in the hallway, brother, help me out. I don't know what you're struggling with, but I know this God is faithful. He's forever faithful. Trust Him. Trust Him. Lean on his promises. Lean on his promises. Number two. I'm just I, let, let me let me pause. I want to warn you a little bit. This might hurt because it hurts me. I'm just going to speak it because we learned it. I'm going to try to live it. I hope you try to do the same. Ready? Number two. I think what we've studied about God challenges us to love like we've been loved. And, and so many times I, I'm going to be honest, I, I fall short here. I want to tell you why. It's not that I don't want to share the love of God with people. It's that I, I kind of have these standards as a Christian. And so for me to share the love of God, I want them to, to be receptive. I don't want them to be rude. Right? I want them to love me back. I want them to clean up a little bit. Be worthy of the love that I want to share with them. There's only one problem. Friends, that's not how God loved you. God loved you in the midst of your sin and your rebellion. And who are you to hold a standard higher than that for someone else in your life? Who are you to hold a bar higher than that what God held? God, in the midst of our sin, while we were still sinners, God, though we didn't love him, chose to love us. And, and, and listen to what it brought, friends. It brought about redemption. And, and last I checked, I think the world needs redemption. And I'm, I'm just believing God at his word that in order for redemption to come, that God's people have to go start loving people that don't deserve it. Not just people that do. And I think if we'll just get a little dirty and we'll walk out into that world with the love of God and we'll start loving people that don't deserve it, maybe the mercy of God will rush over them like it rushed over me when I felt like, God, who are you to be loving me? And they'll be overcome just like I was overcome and the Spirit of God will transform them in that moment. We've got to love others the way that God loved us. Do you remember when you were lost in your sin? 
Do you remember when he reached down and he saved you? Because, brother, I can never forget it. I've got to love people like that in the midst of their sin. I've got to love them. Would you would you take that challenge with you this week? Would you take it with you this month? Would it take take it with you through the holiday season? Man, it's so easy to just want to hold people up here. Well, if they do this, I'll love them. No, no, no. Scripture says I've got to go love them in the midst of their messed upness. Because that's how God loved me. Here's the last thing. We'll be done. Thankful to God for Jesus. Just got to thank God for Jesus. This man, without him, we would be lost. We would be dying. We would be stuck in our sin. Aren't you glad you're not stuck in your sin condition? Aren't you glad that when you messed up this week, it wasn't the end for you? Aren't you glad? Aren't you grateful that God says no, not seven times, brother, 70 times seven. Aren't you glad for a God that loves like that? Man, be thankful for Jesus who came and loved you when you were unlovable. Who stepped into humanity even though you didn't love him. He, you didn't have to get cleaned up, man. He came to you. And then he went even further than that because even after we knew him, we denied him like Peter. And he still came to us on the shore and he's restored us time and time and time again. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. That should be our heart's cry. I don't know how.